You're listening to a podcast from Catalyst Vineyard Church, Aberdeen. You can find out more about our church, as well as more talks on our website, catalyst.fin. So I want to I talk about uh, the ministry of healing today. Um, it's like, you know, our... In some ways, it's like our, our main thing, you know, in terms of working with the Holy Spirit. Be, you know, when Jesus is traveling around, what does he do? He preaches the gospel and heals the sick. And so that's what we want to do. So I want to, I want to just kind of walk you through. And I, you know, I, I, one of the things I've noticed is that over time, sometimes we forget some of the things we learned early on about the healing ministry. We kind of like, we still do it, but we get a little bit lazy about the process. And it can affect like how it works. And so I just wanna walk you through that. And there's some, some aspects about how we pray for the sick that those of us who were in the very early years learned kind of on the fly. Like, nobody ever taught it in a class, but like standing next to somebody who was doing it and saying, say, why'd you do that? Why'd you do that? Why'd you do that? We learned, <coughs> excuse me, some things that aren't always in the deal. And so I, in sort of the spirit I talked to you about last night, about demystifying all of this and trying to release it in a way that you can all do this at home, I want to just walk you through it, if that's all right. Now, the first thing is you, you have to have it clear that there's a mission that's been assigned to us. And I just want to walk you through the scriptures. So, number one, Jesus commanded the 12 disciples to participate in his kingdom and healing ministry. You know, Matthew 9, 35, I think the guys have succeeded in getting it on the screen. So, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. So what's he doing? He's teaching, he's proclaiming, and he's healing. And the healing backs up the words. Do you see that? Like, Because if your message is the kingdom of God has come, the kingdom of God has invaded this broken, dark world. You better have some, something, something better happen that says, you know, there, that there's some light coming into the world. You know, you know, you've got to have some of the life of the kingdom being exhibited, and that's what healing is. Now, you do understand, all healings are temporary. You got that, right? All things, even resurrection from the dead is temporary. Like, if, if you get raised from the dead, you know what that means? You have to die all over again. <laughs> That's going to be a pain in the butt. <laughs> you know, you know I, I don't think it was such a good deal from Lazarus' point of view. But uh, every time there's a healing... It tells us something really important. You know what it tells us? It tells us the 
all the promises are true. Because, you know, the promise, the thing we're really looking for is not healing. The promise, the thing we're really looking for and yearning for is resurrection. Into an immortal body. That's the promise. You know, the promise is not you'll be a disembodied spirit singing with the angels on clouds. I don't know where that came from. It must be Dante's fault. But it's completely not true. You know, the promise is we will be raised to be like Jesus who had this body that could eat and be seen and be touched but move through walls and do incredible things. And we will reign, rule and reign with Christ on the earth. And everything that is wrong will be made right and all that is destroyed will be renewed. And that is good news. Okay, so that's the promise. That's what we're looking for. But when there's a healing, it says to us, it's true. You can, you can hold, tr you can know that it's going to be true. Does that make sense, you guys? So it's super important, right? Because we all need to know that that's true. So that's what Jesus is doing. Gosh, where did I get that? So, that's what Jesus is doing. Then it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That's basically everybody you know, <laughs> you know who's not in the church. They all are like sheep without shepherds and they all need pastors. You know, I lived in a condominium building. I don't think you have those over here particularly, but it's like a shared ownership flat arrangement. And for 12 years, they consistently made me the president of the, of the thing because basically they all needed a pastor. <laughs> yeah. They were all sheep without shepherds and they somehow sensed that guy can help us. And you know, so I did. Um, so everybody, they're all sheep without shepherds. And then he says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Take note, that's one of Jesus' prime prayer commands. That's a prayer you should be praying. And then it says, basically, Jesus says, and we'll start with you. He calls his 12 disciples and gives them authority to drive out, it says, impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. He gave them the authority to heal. And these 12, I'm just skipping the names. If you're wondering where the skip is, it's the names. You know, I can't, it's hard to go through all of them and get them right. So I'm just skipping it. These 12, Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. And as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick. Any English majors in, in this room? You know, what form of, the, of our language is that word, heal the sick? Golly. It's called an imperative, is it not? Any school teachers here? It's called an imperative. That means it's a command. It's, 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 it's a command. Heal the sick. Heal the sick. It's a command. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Try that one on for size. 
Cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you've received, freely get. So you had Jesus doing this. Now you've got 12 disciples doing this. So now you've got 13. Then in Luke 9, oh, I'm sorry, not Luke 9, Luke 10, verses 1 to 3, after this the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and village where he was about to go. And he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Because 13 isn't quite enough. You have to understand, when Jesus is healing the sick, it's not like he waves his arm and everybody in the room gets healed. That, it doesn't work like that. It's not like magic. It's more like relationship. He's like touching every person one by one by one. And he's just one in a body. So like, we need more help. We need more workers. So he gets these 72. And he tells them the same thing. He says, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers in the harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. So Jesus puts a fence around them, says, only Jews, nobody else. But I want you to do this. This is how I want you to do it. I want you to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God is invading this world to start the process of making this world new. And I want you to demonstrate the truth of that by healing the sick and raising the dead and casting out demons. Now Jesus then goes on to include all of his disciples in this. If you go just a bit further, we get to Matthew 28, right after the resurrection. And this is what he says. Then the 11 disciples, because Judas didn't make it, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. I really love Thomas the doubter because he makes me know that the resurrection really happened. You know, like he wasn't going to be easily convinced. And I love that. I feel like he's a true Chicagoan. We're naturally skeptical. So we, we definitely love Thomas. And Jesus came to them and said... All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. What's he done? He's taken the fence down. Now I have authority to take it to the whole world. We're going for the, all the nations, not just the Jews. And he says, here's how you make them into disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them to do what? Obey everything I've commanded you to do. Well, what did Jesus command these guys to do? He commanded them to preach the gospel of the kingdom and to heal the sick and to cast out demons and raise deads. He also commanded them some other really hard things like love one another. <laughs> you laugh, but you will find in time that it's easier to heal the sick than it is to love some of your brothers. <laughs> And which is another reason why we need to be in church. You know, people who like have church in their home, usually that means church with all my friends. You've picked them and you already like them. The great thing about a real church is Jesus brings people you would never pick. <laughs> and he has them set right next to you usually. So you can truly learn how to love. 
It's like the only place on the planet where anything like that happens. You see? Where we, get, where we end up with people we wouldn't pick. So, anyway, we are commanded as disciples then to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, cast out demons. And we have authority from Jesus to do so. Now, of course, in order to fulfill that, we need to be filled with the Spirit's power, which we talked about last night. He said, don't leave Jerusalem, don't go without the power coming. But you have authority. So that's going to be important when we go through the steps. Now, a long time ago, John Wimber was trying to break this down in a simple way so you could do it in your living rooms and your kitchens. And he came up with what was called the five-step healing model. And it's really just a model. It's not really the method, actually, that the scripture tells us. It's just a way to get started. It's like uh, training wheels on, on a bicycle. The, the true way, the biblical way of doing all ministry is rooted in the scripture in John 5, 19, where Jesus says, the son can do nothing of himself, but only what he sees the father doing. Okay? All ministry ultimately is rooted in the understanding that we can do nothing in ourselves, but only what God is already doing. In Ephesians, the, the Apostle Paul talks about how we are to enter in to the works that God has prepared for us. Okay, so he, he's gone before us, as it were. He's prepared works for us to do. We can only do what he's prepared for us to do. And you, if he hasn't, if he's not leading the way, it's just you, and it's not going to work very well. Because you can do nothing in yourself. Because if Jesus could do nothing in himself, where does that leave us? Right? You know, after 45 years of doing pastoral ministry and looking back, I tried to do lots of things of my own volition or smarts or because I'd heard somebody give us a clever podcast or talk about, you know, well, I did this and my church exploded. Most of that was a gigantic disappointment, you know. But there were other things that God did where he intervened, where the kingdom broke in, things we didn't expect. Sometimes the littlest things turned into the most amazing fruitfulness. Very early on, I'd been praying for the Muslim world. It's something God put on my heart because I felt that the fact that there was no living church in so much of the Muslim world was an affront to the sovereignty of Jesus. And that it needed to be, something needed to happen. So I started praying for the Muslim world when I was at university. And then when I got to Chicago and we started our church, I was still praying. And I, I had thought that maybe God would send me to the Muslim world, but he didn't. In fact, he like put a nice big block in the way. Like, no, that's not the way I want to do this. So anyway, one day... Well, so I used to go to the University uh, Christian Union, like a student group, you have those? And 
I would sit in the back and figure out who the leaders were, and then I would become friends with them, and they would come to my church, and then they would bring all the rest of the students. That's how we started our church. <laughs> so, and of course, I, I looked much younger. I could pass. That wouldn't work now. Well, there's places where it would work now, but they wouldn't be the university. So anyway, um, one day I'm sitting there and I'm in the back and this guy comes in next to me and he's sick, like really sick. Like he's like sweating, he's got a fever, you can tell he's coughing, you know, there's snot coming out of everything his eyes and his ears and his nose, and I'm thinking, why are you here? Why are you not in bed? Why are you next to me? <laughs> and then I just felt like moved to offer to pray for him, which is the strangest thing, because I hadn't even met the vineyard yet. I didn't know hardly anything about healing. But for some reason, I prayed for him. And so I said, I turned to him and I said, would you like me to pray for you? Because you just had to do something, because he was a mess. And he says, he looks at me a little strange, and he says, okay. And I prayed for this guy's cold. And he was instantly healed, like of everything. Just like, bam. Like he's like back to normal. No fever, no snot, no nothing. Like, I've never seen another cold healed since then. Cancers, yes, colds, never. <laughs> But this guy gets healed. Well, it turns out, guess what? He's an exchange student from Turkey, from a Muslim background. Well, he becomes a believer. So then, next thing we know, he finds this woman that's at the school. She's from Turkey also, from a Muslim background. She, and he starts telling her about Jesus and how you know, he has power and you can get healed. So she comes and she becomes a believer. So pretty soon she goes back to Turkey, which I had heard didn't have any indigenous church made up of Turkish people. There were churches in Turkey, but they were for Greek people. They were left over from before the Turkish people invaded, if you know anything about history. So anyway, um, she finds a little group of other college students who come to Jesus meeting in the grounds of the Swedish consulate where the Turkish police can't come and make trouble for them. And she starts telling them about, did you know that Jesus could heal the sick? And starts talking about worship. The next thing I know, they're inviting me to come over there and teach them about how to pray for the sick. Long story short, next thing I know, well, I'm coming there every year, every other year, doing training and encouragement. And that has now led us, we have six vineyard churches in Turkey. But that's not where it's not, because one of them, one of them had a relative who came to university in Turkey, who was from Azerbaijan. And he got saved, comes to Jesus. He went back to Baku, the capital of Azerbaijan, and has the biggest church in Azerbaijan, and has got his own plan. It's very, not that different than your plan to plant a vineyard church in every province of that country. Meanwhile, while we're in Istanbul, we meet this missionary guy who was a Baptist, and he was trying to reach Iranian refugees, people who spoke Persian. And 
The Baptists found out that he was praying for the sick and people were getting healed and that wasn't allowed in his Baptist church. So they threw him out on his ear and said, we're not giving you any more support. So he came to me and says, well, you adopt me as a missionary. And I said, yeah, I think we can manage that. <laughs> and long story short, he ends up in Tajikistan, which also speaks a variation of Persian and starts planting more churches there. So we've got a bunch of churches in Tajikistan. So while we're in Tajikistan and he's doing this, there's a guy from Iran who comes across the border to Tajikistan and he is a believer. And while he's there, he meets one of the women from our church that's there on a short-term mission, falls in love with her and marries her, takes her back to Iran where they spend like 10 years starting house churches before they got arrested. That's another story. And so now we've got like, we've got, I mean, you, you know, we don't talk about it a lot, but there's literally hundreds of little house churches connected to the Vineyard family in Iran. All because I prayed for some guy with a cold. You see what I mean? Like when you do the thing that God's doing, like it explodes. Like who could have ever, Put that together, like, you know, something like that. You would, it's the wildest thing you've ever heard. But, of course, that's what God specializes in. The wildest thing you ever heard. So, like, all the plans, eh. but God working, starting with the simplest little things, has gigantic impact. So, we can do nothing in ourselves but only what the Father is doing. That's why it's so important to learn to recognize how the Holy Spirit's working, which I talked to you about some last night. We gotta follow the Holy Spirit in everything because that's where all the goodies are. Whether they're little or whether they're big. It could be praying for your neighbor's cold and you just never know. You really just never know where things go. So that's the method. But we have these steps to get us going. So all this is a big build-up to the steps. So let me walk you through the steps. All right? First thing you got to do is you got to know, like, what in the world you're praying for. you got to ask them. So we call this the interview. It's asking questions. Like, what needs to happen exactly? You know, with the guy's cold, it's pretty obvious. <laughs> There's a cold bug in there, and it needs to die. <laughs> you know, so that's what you're praying for. And, uh, you know, maybe it's uh, they broke their foot, you know, and you, all right, now you're praying for bones to heal and, and, and something like that. You know, so you, you just ask questions like, what do I need to specifically pray for? Because this is important because when we get down to the actual prayer part, you need to be very specific in the prayer, if at all possible. Very specific, what you want to have happen. And so that's the point. Now, sometimes when you ask people what's wrong or what needs to happen, they, they, they launch into their medical history, which will probably kill what little faith you have left. <laughs> so you really have to cut them off quick. Say, no, 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 don't tell me everything. Just pick something. Just one. Give me one thing, and we'll work on that. And if that goes well, we can... Think about the next thing on your list. Just give me one. So sometimes you got to narrow people down a little bit so you have some place to get. But it's just, you know, 
um, how are you hurting? You know, sometimes I might ask them, have you seen a doctor? What does the doctor say needs to happen? Um, because maybe the doctor knows something. <laughs> that would be helpful to know, <laughs> you know? So I might ask them that kind of question. At the same time, I'm always listening to God. God, what's this all about? Where's this coming from? How do I need to pray? I'm, I'm working my way up to how do I need to pray? So you're listening to the person, you're listening to God. Then the next step, this is step two, invite the power of the Holy Spirit. And I talked to you a little bit about this last night, that you have to invite the Holy Spirit's power to come because unless there's power, the, thing, the healing might not really happen. You've got to wait. And you're, so you're going to invite the Spirit, and then you wait a little bit for power to come. And I, especially with healing, I'm expecting that in short order, not necessarily immediately, but relatively soon, the person will get hot, they'll start trembling, they'll start feeling tingling, they'll feel electricity, there's going to be something that's happening that indicates that their body's reacting to power beginning to flow through their body. And many times when that happens, there's a particular place where the power is entering in. And so I'm, I'm kind of waiting for the power, I'm waiting for the Holy Spirit to move, and I'm watching, and I'm kind of, I usually have my hand on them, and, but I'm also very alert to, like, I might move my hand if I discern that there's power coming in in a different part of their body. Once in a while, people will develop like little round hot spots on their bodies that will radiate heat, sometimes as much as two feet away from their body. Um, and you can like move six inches to the side and not feel any heat, and then move over here, and there's lots of heat without even touching them. And so when that happens, there's, that's like the connection point. So if you get one of those, you want to put your hand on the connection point. During this time, inviting the power of the Spirit and waiting for the power, you're not saying anything, or very little, very, very little. It's not about the words. It's just watching. You gotta have your eyes open. Sometimes if I'm not sure, I might even ask the person, what's happening on your side? Are you feeling something? And that's okay, because you're not, it's not like they're in some hypnotic state that if you ask them a question, it's gonna mess it up. That's not what this is, okay? Um, if there's other people in the room, I'm gonna see if God's putting power on somebody else to kind of be the hands-on front person to pray for them. And do, I'll demonstrate what I mean when we get to the demonstration part here later this morning. We're gonna, we're gonna do this, okay? Um, so that's step three, look for the signs of healing power. Now step four, um, the way I have it is, you know, you got your hands on them. So you're waiting for the signs, you put your hands there, especially if somebody has power on their hands, you wanna get the hands on the part that needs to get healed. And usually when you do that, the sense of power flowing through their body will increase. If the person gets wobbly, what it means is their ankle muscles are getting numb. They'll move around just a little bit just to stand. You have to move to stand. But if they get truly wobbly, you know, just grab them and hold on to them. Try to keep them standing. Um, if their knees get wobbly, they're going to go down. 
Like you can't do anything about the knees, but it probably won't matter. But I like to keep them standing. First of all, it's easier to pray for them. And second of all, I want them to stay engaged with the spirit. Remember I talked about how we're midlife, uh, midwives. We're helping this person stay connected to God. And I want them to kind of stay in that place of receiving from God. And if they fall down and think, oh, that's it, and it's all over, then the thing doesn't get done. Like I've seen so many times, you know, people, they got like cancer or something, and they fall down, and they're like saying, oh, I'm healed. And it's like, no, you're not. Like, we just barely got it to enough power to make your ankles wobbly. We're not stopping now. We're going we're gonna to stay on this thing until we get enough power flowing into your body to actually heal your cancer. Don't quit too soon. If you quit too soon, it's like kind of cutting the, head, the top off of a weed and saying, oh, that's good. All right? Like, eh, no, it's not going to be good. So stay with them. Um, Interestingly, in the Bible, many healings happen primarily only through the laying on of hands. So, so often we feel this pressure like we have to say something to fill up the space. But actually, you don't. You don't need to fill up the space with your words. In fact, your words can actually literally get in the way if you have too many words. Remember, we're trying to help these people receive from God. And sometimes if you say too many words, they get focused on the words instead of on God, and then it's all messed up. So you only want to say the words that are the words that God wants you to say. And otherwise, just stick with the laying on of hands. Don't say the other extra words, because they probably won't help anyway. Because the only words that have any power are the words that God gives you. All right. So then... It's important, and this is one of the big things that we've learned. In our church, we've been praying for the sick steadily, constantly, for 35 years. We've seen so many people healed of all kinds of things, although not that many colds. Bad track record on colds, except the one. Um, I don't know why, but I think the kids' ministry does better with the colds because we teach the kids in kids' ministry to pray for each other, and they have a really good track record, actually. <laughs> so, because um, they just, they don't, they don't get all tangled up in our adult what-ifs. They just, you know, they just go for it. They think, oh, this is what Jesus tells us to do. Okay, let's do, let's do this. So, one of the things we learned, though, is that you have to speak to the condition sometimes. Well, a lot of the time. You have to speak to the condition. So, you've got Power's flowing into this person. Maybe they're getting really hot. Maybe they're trembling a little bit. They're shaking. You've got your hand on the, on the place where they need to be healed. And then you need to speak to the condition. And this is where it gets just a little weird. It's just, you have to speak to a body part. And yeah, that, most of us have trouble at that point, speaking to a body part. Like, Spine, move into the right position. Headache, go away. Stuff like that. What are you doing when you do that? You're using your authority. 
That's how the exercise of authority works. Uh, I actually tell people, do not, if you're present yourself, if you are with somebody who needs healing, do not ask God to heal them. Because the answer is, no, you heal them. You heal them. I've given you the authority to heal them. Use your authority. You heal them. Do you understand? And you, part of the way you implement that is you speak to the condition. I had a friend named Bill Jackson. He's with Jesus now. Died a few years back. But he wrote this book called Quest for the Radical Middle, which is sort of a history of the vineyard, which if you haven't read it, it's a useful book. He meant to write a part two, but he died before he got to it. So that's a shame, but anyway. But he used to tell this story about how very early on at the beginning, when John Wimber was teaching this class at Fuller Seminary on signs and wonders and church growth, he went to check it out. So the first time he's there, he's there watching, and they get to this you know, prayer time that they call the clinic time, because of course, you have to kind of put things in the package that academics can find acceptable. So they called it the clinic time. Ministry time wasn't good enough. Had to be called the clinic time. So they called it the clinic time. Anyway, they were praying for people. And there was a woman there with a goiter on the back of her neck. You know what a goiter is? It's like some kind of a cyst or something. It, it, it ends up like just being like a big bump on the back of people's necks. And I think it's painful. And so there's a woman there that had that on the back of her neck. And so John Wimber turns to Bill and says, hey, you, go over there and put your hand on that goiter and tell it to go away. And he kind of looks at him and he goes over there and he puts his hand on it and he says, oh God, please take this goiter away. Nothing happens. And John Wimber is laughing at him. He's laughing and he says, no, 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 I said speak to the goiter and tell it to go away. And he just, like, he's really struggling. Like, I can't do that. Like, I can't speak to a goiter. Like, how will I tell my mother? You know? And so, once again, so, oh, God, please take this goiter away. Nothing's happening. And when we last said him again, he says, no, 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 you have to speak to it. Tell that goiter to go away. So he kind of goes like, all right. And not exactly God's man of faith and power. He says, goiter? Go away? <laughs> and he said, that thing melted underneath his fingers in about five minutes. He could feel it going down when he spoke to it. All right? So you, you have to speak to the condition. You got you to gotta do it with the authority that Jesus has given you to do. Now, if you're in a distance, you know, there's somebody in another place, and you want to pray for them, yeah, you can ask God to heal them. Even better, ask God to send them some vineyard person to heal them in person. You know, um, but, you know, you can, then we might ask God. But when you're present, like, don't ask God to heal them. Like, no, no, no. Put your hands on them, invite the power of the Spirit, and speak to the condition, and tell it what needs to happen. And if it's cancer, you're going to say, cancer cells die. Because that's what needs to happen, right? You want to curse the cancer cells. And you might, like, speak to the immune system, get it ramped up to fight the, the cancer cells, all right? Which is what needs to happen. 
That's how you pray for cancer. You know, and a lot of times, if, if it's bones, you're going to tell the bones to move. Just make sure you make them move in the right directions. <laughs> you laugh, but I've seen a few people growing legs that weren't precise enough in their prayer, and then they had the reverse problem they started with. They started with, this leg is too short for that one, and then they didn't stop soon enough, and now that one's too long, and the other one's too short. <laughs> you have to... I think... You can't make this stuff up, can you? It's like crazy, but this is how it works. You have to speak to it because you really do have authority. That's the thing you got to get. You really, really, really do have authority. That doesn't mean everybody gets healed, right? Just because you have authority doesn't mean everybody's going to get healed because we're in a war. God's will is not done perfectly on earth as it is in heaven yet. That's why we pray that. So you're not going to win every battle. Sometimes they don't get healed. Sometimes they don't get healed because God's got a time and a place. Remember uh, the lame man that the uh, Peter and John heal, uh, you know, in front of the temple gates. I'm probably going to talk about this in a minute in more detail, but it, from where the guy is in front of the temple, it's almost certain Jesus walked by that guy a bunch of times and didn't heal him. It's sort of like they were saving him for another day. So sometimes when somebody doesn't get healed, you know, you pray for them, you invite the power of the Spirit, but there's no power. There's no power. Like, nothing happens. You know, when that happens, you know, if you've waited five minutes, eh, call it. Like, either, let's try again next week. <laughs> Maybe next week will be your day. Or let's go ask Betty to pray. She's been really hot lately. I mean, I've literally done that with people. Because you, there are gifts of healing that get distributed in our congregations. And there will be points in, in time as, you, as we stay together that you'll become aware of the fact that, you know, when so-and-so prays for people, more people get healed. So, like, you, you know, might want to, when it doesn't work for you, you send them that way. Okay. A lot of times... We might start by commanding pain to leave, pain go away. But the pain isn't always the complete healing, is the thing you have to note. Just because the pain went away in the moment doesn't mean the whole healing has happened. You have to go from that to the thing that actually needs to happen. So, because um, it's actually not that hard to make pain go away in prayer, at least in my experience. It's not that hard to get pain to go away. But like if they broke their foot, you don't want to stop with the pain. You're like, you want the bones to mend. You, see, you understand what I mean? You, that's what you're looking for. <laughs> Just saying that reminds me about oh, maybe 10 years ago before the pandemic, Sandy and I got invited to this teenager's camp that they held in the southeastern part of, a, of the United States. And there were like, I don't know, five or 600 teenagers there. And one night, the power of God came on, on that group. There, there was a, 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 a young guy, and the power of God came in him, and I got him in front. And then the next thing you know, he started praying for some of his friends from the front. And the power of God started coming on different kids, and pretty soon the whole room was just going crazy. Was, God was touching so many people. 
And there was one of the camp counselors had broken his foot the day before, falling off a ladder. And those kids visibly saw that foot get healed that night. And they could see the bones moving and hear them popping as they were moving into place. It was glorious. Although it was really scary. It was so much power that it was kind of scary. There were four kids that called their parents and went home because it was too scary for them because they just couldn't tolerate that much power. So you're going to speak to the condition. Then you check in with them, like, how are we doing? How's, how are we doing? This is really important. After a little point, you want to find out what's happening. And at that point, there's several options. You, you might find out, yep, they're completely healed. It's all taken care of. All good. Then you're done. Although, footnote, if the Holy Spirit's power has not lifted off of them, if they are still experiencing power, then there's something else. And it might be they get physically healed, and then there's going to be a round two where God goes after something internal. So, because remember, the rule actually is follow the Spirit. So, most of the time when you're praying for healing and the healings happen, the Spirit lifts off of them, the signs of power are gone, like it's all done, you're done. But if he stays, then he's got another agenda. And you need to find out what that is. Um... So sometimes, a lot, quite a lot of times, people will report partly better. Like, you know, most of the pain's gone, or the thing has moved a little bit, and it's partly better. So then, you pray again. When uh, we first joined the vineyard, we were crazy. Like, it was like God had like handed out chainsaws to everybody in our church with no instructions. And so we were desperate to learn as much as we could. So we literally went to like every vineyard conference, anywhere it was happening, till we had no holiday time and no money left. Anyway, a bunch of people had gone out to one of the conferences in California, and I couldn't go because I'd run out of holiday time. And we went out there, and so when they came back, it's sort of like, wow, what'd you see? What'd you see? What, what happened? And this one woman, she says, I saw a lame man walk. I said, oh, great, tell me about it. She says, it's not the way you think. I says, what do you mean? She says, well, there was a guy in a wheelchair, and it was a guy who'd been in a wheelchair for a long time. I don't know if you know about people who've been in wheelchairs a long time, but if they have, they don't have any leg muscles. There's no muscles. She said, this guy had no muscles on his legs. And the power of God came on him, and his legs were violently shaking. And then the power of God came, started coming. It was California, so they were all wearing shorts. And, and the power of God came on him, and his skin was bubbling up as muscles were being formed underneath. Like you could see the skin bubbling up and they were forming muscles underneath. But do you have any idea how many muscles are involved in walking? 
It's literally hundreds. It's like an unbelievably complex operation, actually. And uh, so what would happen is they'd, they'd get a bunch of muscles kind of, you know, happening under the skin, and they'd get him up and find out where he, had, where he couldn't, what was weak, what was not working, you know. It's sort of like getting him up and say, oh, I'm good on the right side, but the left side's no good. And, and then they pray on the left side. And this went on for six hours with that kind of power moving through his body. But at the end of the six hours, the guy's able to get out of the wheelchair on his own and walk across the room. Okay, so why did I start telling that story? Uh, keep praying. Like you have to pray again and again and again. That's it. Yeah, sometimes you've got to pray again and again and again. It's not like... We all, you always think it's going to just like all come instantly, but it's actually always a process. And, you know, it might be, if it's like that, like that's, a, that's a really big thing. Like you're, you're like creating something out of nothing. So that's kind of big. And that's going to take some time. Um, so you, that's one option. You might pray again. Um, sometimes the person you're praying for will express if you check in with them some kind of difficulty or something different happening. Like, I'm nervous, or I'm afraid, or I feel like I don't deserve this, or different things that happen with them that are kind of interfering with the process. So then you like talk to them and try to help them get through what's hanging them up so that then the whole thing can finish. Sometimes at that point, you might have a prophetic word. Um, for them, you know, you might get a prophetic word for them, particularly people gifted in prophecy. That's a good time to share at the check-in time to, to give a prophetic word. Now, the other thing is that there is sometimes a necessity of taking a step of Oh, I don't, I gotta be careful how I describe this. Um, taking a step into the healing. So I want you to, if you got Bibles on your phones, looks like most of you have a device, right? Pull up your Bibles. Once you go to the book of Acts, and we want chapter three, okay? Is this all right if I sit? People in the front row kind of get a, not such a good view at the moment, but I just can't keep standing. Um, one day, Peter and John are going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. So the first thing you have to recognize is they are doing this every day. They're doing this every day. They go by this place every day at the same time, in the same place. It's, a, it's habit. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts, okay? So this guy's been lame his whole life. He's now a grown man. He's lame, and he has a begging spot. And it's like the best begging spot on the planet because the... Jewish understanding is, if you neglect the poor, God will not answer your prayers. 
They got that from the Bible. There's a, like 400 verses of, along that line, so just think about that. Anyway, so what the poor would do is put themselves outside, just outside the temple so that you're going in to pray and then you remember the poor because there they are, right there in your face. And if you know anything about beggars, they get their spots and they defend them fiercely, do they not? Like, this is my spot. They like own it. This is like their business. They own it. So this guy's got his spot, which means everybody knows this guy. They walked past this guy. Jesus walked past this guy. They all know this guy. So there he is. He's about to start his day. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Standard practice. But then it says Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Now you all know, if you don't want to give money to the beggar, you don't look at him, right? <laughs> you don't look at him. Because if you look at him, they're on you. But they look at him, and Peter actually says, look at us. So he's giving them attention, expecting them to get something. And Peter and John said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, why? Now, the interesting thing to me is, first of all, why this day? Why did they, they've walked by this guy so many times. Why this day? There's only two possibilities. The most likely possibility is one of the two of them had a dream about this. They saw this happening ahead of time. It's sort of like John wakes up and says, hey, Peter, you know that I had a dream. You know that, that lame man that's always by the gate to the temple? I saw us healing him. Like, we need to look out for him today because I, th I think the Lord wants to heal him. So they were already primed. They were, they were like looking for him. They're primed before they even get there. The other possibility is they felt the power flowing when they walked past him. And they noticed, oh, somebody's getting healed. I can feel the power flowing. Who is it? Oh, it's the lame guy. And then they looked at him. That's the only two possibilities why they would switch gears at that moment, which is very telling. So if you, if you get like a dream or something like that about you healing somebody, that's big. Like you need to take that seriously. Like you need, you need to like, you know, you need to be ready to go after that because that's, that's the Lord kind of setting things up ahead of time. So that's where they are. And so with that information, so they, they know God's going to heal. They're not asking God, are you going to heal this? They know. They've already heard from God. So he says to him, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. But does he get up and walk? Look at verse 7. He does not jump up and walk. He says, says, taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. They put him in position to be ready to walk. They like moved him into it. And then it says, instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong, and he jumped to his feet and began to walk, and of course the rest is history. Okay.
Okay, so sometimes you need to... Um, the person needs to, in a sense, it's like a glorified form of the checkup. You know, how are, how are we doing? How's this going? So we had a healing uh, training class, like what I'm doing with you right now with, at our church a month ago. And there was a woman there who could not, she had something wrong with her shoulder, and she couldn't raise her hand above horizontal, her left hand couldn't raise above horizontal. So we prayed for her, and there was power on her, and we spoke to the shoulder and what needed to happen in the shoulder, which had to do with the whatever connects everything. The ligaments or something, something like that. So we were speaking to that, you know, and then we wanted to do a check-up. We said, raise your hand. And... She raises her hand and she gets 95% of her movement just all the first time around. Couldn't get the last 5% to kind of get a full hand up. And so then we prayed again. You know, but it, there was something about like taking the action. She didn't realize she was healed. It wasn't kind of completed till she like actually moved the hand. So sometimes you know, the checkup is actually like a step into the healing to help it get going. Then the last step is um, simply you want to kind of close it up and encourage them. So if it's like, you know, uh, I probably prayed for like 20, 30,000 people and I'd guess probably at least half of them nothing happened. But you know, in American baseball, you can fail 65% of the time and they'll pay you millions. <laughs> One person knows American baseball. I know, it's an American joke and it won't work here. <laughs> but, you know, the truth is, if, when you're talking about healing, if you get half, that's pretty good, right? So half of the time, nothing much happens. And you're in the store like, let's try again next week. You know, maybe, maybe Joe is hot today, you know. I, I'm, I'm not having my best day right now. Whatever it is. And we, you keep, and you try again later. Because we don't, you never know. Um, sometimes people get healed really profoundly. But they may find the whole experiencing very disorienting. Like, what happened to me? What was that? What does that mean? So literally what's happened is things have happened in their body, but their brain doesn't know where to put it. It's sort of like they, they don't understand what's happening. So it's very important to talk to them and help them have some simple ways of understanding what God did. And this, one of the easiest ways is just simply say, this is part of God's loving you. This is God showing his love for you. And that puts a box in their mind. Oh, this is about love. It's not about some weird occultish power trip. It's about love. We want to put it in the love box, right? We like the love box. And, you know, you might explain, you know, there's, he sends real power to heal you, and it, and it can feel like the things that you felt like when it happens, 
you know, you can talk, depending on where they are with Jesus, you might even lead them to Jesus um, at that point. You know, this is Jesus, and he wants you, he cares about you, he, you know, you want to give your life to Jesus. So you talk them through it a little bit and encourage them. If they're under a doctor's treatment, you don't, like, say to them, stop your treatment. What you do is you say, go check with the doctor. If they're healed, the doctor will know, and then he can stop the treatment. Or she. You know, the doctor can start the treat, stop the treatment, but you don't stop the treatment. And the doctor might find out that, no, they're not really healed, in which case you need to know so you can pray again. Okay, so there's no conflict between what we're doing and, and medicine. There's no conflict at all. And, of course, anybody involved in medicine knows it has many limits. <laughs>